The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Good morning. Welcome to the program. This is Squawk Box. Let's get into your headlines. A strong earnings count and trade deal hopes drive the S&P 500 to a fresh record high, while investors bet on a third rate cut from the Fed later this week. Alphabet shares fall in extended trade after Google's parent company misses profit estimates in the third quarter as rising costs outpace a strong performance in ad sales. UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson loses his third attempt to force a snap election but vows to try again while the EU agrees to a three-month Brexit delay. Commerce Bank shares closed 2.5% higher as the German lender beats expectations with a surprise jump in third-quarter profit in preliminary results released more than a week ahead of schedule. Eurozone leaders praise Mario Draghi's vision as he prepares to hand over the reins after eight years at the helm of the ECB while the central bank chief makes a final plea for fiscal help. A more active fiscal policy in your area would make it possible to adjust our policies more quickly and lead to higher interest rates eventually. It was a day for chasing records on Wall Street and we saw it on the S&P 500 by the finish 3.039, a fresh peak for the index, which has been nearing that territory for a number of sessions. The fresh push for markets this time, again trade, and you've heard a number of commentators on this channel talk about how far we've moved on some of that trade optimism in session. US President Donald Trump talking about the ability to get a deal done, saying that he expected to sign a significant path part of the trade deal with China ahead of schedule. He hasn't commented on the actual timing, but uh, suggestions that things are going well was enough to lift some of those market numbers. Also, a U.S. trade representative saying that the U.S. is studying whether to extend tariff suspensions on $34 billion worth of Chinese goods that are set to expire close to the end of this year on the 28th of December. So lots of moving pieces around trade, but very positive for the market session, as you can see. The Nasdaq out in front. That was a nod to some of the big technology names that we've seen. With uh, some of those gains that we've seen in the technology sector, the best performing so far this month, up 4%, semis leading the charge. And uh, of course, number of earnings out uh, across the course of the week. And uh, the latest one we're focusing on today will be Alphabet. We'll break that down for you in a moment. 1.9% higher in session, but uh, other numbers crossing in session yesterday. And you saw uh, also healthcare on pace to break a three-month losing streak. So uh, different components of the market seeing a bounce. And uh, the question is what happens next? Because some of this is also down to the Fed if we get a rate cut this week. Questions ready to be asked, what comes next? Will there be more stimulus from the Fed or are we in a situation where we've got disappointment? To so uh, my friends in the world of technical analysis and who watch the seasonals closely were bouncing up and down with excitement yesterday because uh, yesterday marks one of the strongest days historically for the stock market. And it's that big sigh of relief as you see the back end of October and you think, phew, we're past the month of crashes. But before everybody gets carried away here, let's just uh, point out that if you got excited about this at the end of last year, 
um, in October and thought we're going to have a, a lovely seasonal rally to year end, you were disappointed. It ended up being quite brutal. And then we got the Fed pivot and this whole shift and then this weakness coming into this year. And as you look around the markets, whilst there are reasons for the bulls to get excited, like these new highs, there are lots of reasons still for the bears to be growling. And even the, the, the sectors that are higher here throw up some interesting conclusions. So it's a bit barbell. You know, we had some uh, semis and techs doing really well, and yet we had defensive healthcare doing really well as well. So people are hedging their bets even as they are trying to eke a little bit more out of this equity market. Well, I want to pick up on the monetary policy angle because someone is going to be disappointed. If you look at some of the market expectations, the market commentary we've had, one more rate cut and then we're done has been the message from others. If you look at the pricing on the markets, another 50 basis points of cuts, that's effectively two more rate cuts priced in by June. I've seen other more bearish commentators saying four more rate cuts that they see October, December, March and then June. Three very different views. So somebody will be disappointed. And whatever view you take on markets and what's going to happen with monetary policy, it does give you a sense of just how much risk you're going to be taking. And I think that is a problem for some investors. I think Jeff's point about it, looking back at this point last year is important, but the distinction to make between last year and this year is also really important, that we have the Fed now in a position where they are engaging in supportive policy, but I think that looking forward to the next catalyst, will Jerome Powell uh, tomorrow when the Fed meeting concludes maintain that language around this being a mid-cycle adjustment, uh, and if he doesn't characterize what we're seeing now as more of an, uh, an extended easing cycle, is that enough to continue supporting markets, or are we back where we were last year. Because hiring has slowed, business investment has slowed, macroeconomic growth numbers globally have slowed. Uh, if you look at the Eurozone, M3 money supply has slowed, which tells you that companies are borrowing less at this point in the cycle. Is the Fed a good enough argument to remain engaged with risk assets at this point, even as we see deterioration in some of the fundamentals? Well, it has been. It just may not be by the end of this week. The other point is around trade. I mean, how much further can we keep on travelling on trade? We've travelled right towards a record peak of the S&P 500. Are we done yet? And we haven't seen any of the context of the arrangement. Most of the commentators we speak to suggest it's going to be a large disappointment because we're not going to tackle any of the, the meteor issues, which could mean more tariffs potentially in future. So it begs the question, have we gone too far on the trade talks? And, and just something else here. Um, what's going on in the new economy? You know, we were told that this is the future. And then as I look at some of the earnings that are coming in, this is looking really spotty. I mean, we're going to talk alphabet with Elizabeth in just a second here, but I just wanted to flag up for our audience in case they missed it, that two of those big um, hopes for the new economy, Beyond Meat and Grubhub, reported earnings yesterday that disappointed and the shares fell. Just be aware of this as we continue to focus on what the promise is of this new economy. And onto that new economy, Alphabet. So let's talk you through the story here for a moment. Alphabet shares fell in after hours trading as Google's parent company reported its highest ever quarterly costs. Expenses over the third quarter were driven by a hiring spree and increased investment in services. 
Elizabeth is going to walk us through exactly what happened in the numbers. Elizabeth, good morning. Good morning, Jeff. That's right. So pretty big miss here on the bottom line. We saw earnings per share of $10.12. That is compared to the estimate of $12.42. So this miss is what seems to be sending shares a bit lower here in extended trading. Now, Alphabet was as low as about 4%, and it has come off only about 1.5%, 2 now in those extended hours. Revenue did beat, though, $40.5 billion in the third quarter, and that was partially, mostly driven by strong advertising revenues. Now, advertising still makes up the majority of Google's revenues. You can see for this quarter, it came in at $33.92 billion, and you can see how big of a chunk of Alphabet's revenue that is. The, the key topic here that seems to be a big conversation now is this other revenue segment, which was about $6.43 billion. That includes things like hardware and includes these data centers as well as smartphones. And this is where Google's investing a lot of money, but it still isn't the core part of the business. And as it's making these investments, that's where the costs are going up. I also do just want to highlight this other bet segment, which when you look at the big picture here, it's just a small little slice, $155 million, And it did report actually an operating loss. That includes the bets like Waymo and Verily, this health venture, um, Wing, uh, delivery service. So these are kind of those, those moonshot ventures still not quite a big piece of the picture here when we're looking at the revenues for Alphabet. But an important thing to look at when you look at the scope of this company and how it's continuing to make these investments in other segments outside of its core business. So that's what we're looking at this quarter. All in line, fundamentals fairly strong in that core business, but these other segments getting a lot of attention so far this morning, guys. Come and join us, Elizabeth. You're going to come and join us over um, at the chair because I know everybody wants to have a little bit of a chat about this one. Karen? The advertising. Shall we go straight to that? Because it's uh, one of the, the most important elements of the business. Did you think that, that the numbers held up enough at this I, point with I all the competition? That, I do think that those numbers held up. And here's the thing that we know about this company. No company dominates the search ad market like Google, despite the growth that we've seen from particularly Amazon on this front. You know, we saw very strong numbers from Amazon in its other segment, which is digital ads for last quarter still doesn't even compare to where Google or Alphabet stands on this front. So that's one of the key things to look at when you're looking at the competitors in this space in that dominant um, advertising market. Now, the cost per click was a little bit lower. And this other metric that we always look at if you is this traffic acquisition cost. This is what Google pays companies like Apple to make search the default. And that actually was um, you know, right, right just in line with expectations. So generally, that ad segment looks pretty strong. There had been a little bit of fear earlier this year that that was slowing down. These numbers do not indicate that that's the case. Now, reading through some of the uh, analyst commentary on the back of these results, one analyst pointed to frustration around the cost predictability, given that Google Alphabet doesn't disclose the performance of lots of the individual parts of their business. So how much is that factoring into the share price reaction we saw last it's night? It's a really big factor. I think one of the really interesting things about this stock, and it's a trend we've seen in other tech companies too, is a less information that they're giving to analysts in their reports. But this one in particular is very hard to parse through. This other segment, when you're when you're including hardware and cloud in one big grouping, it's very difficult to know where that growth is really coming from. And we know last quarter that Google told us that cloud generated about $2 billion in the quarter, but that is the only metric that we have for that company. And that's just based on a one-off uh, mention on a conference call. So I think analysts are trying to figure out exactly how this other segment is contributing to margins 
data centers are expensive. Headcount is expensive. I mean, if you look at the headcount just in this last quarter, it was a massive increase, over 100,000, 114,000 employees at Google now worldwide. So it's hard to understand exactly where the costs are coming from when there aren't that, those specifics break down in the report itself. What's, uh, what's the analyst's view on the uh, valuation at this point? Because, I mean, what is this business trading off? 30 times, somewhere around about there? About 25 times. Right. Pretty, pretty squarely valued compared to some of the high-flying, you know, gross stocks like Netflix of the world. Um, I think that one of the questions analysts are trying to understand is this increasing emphasis on hardware. How will that affect the valuation? You know, things like this, the Pixel 4, which was a smartphone that was released this past quarter. We don't know where sales came in with that yet, but if that does actually have, you know, doesn't quite compete with the iPhone, How's that going to really compare it's to the, to the others? It's hardware because there was also uh, chatter in the markets yesterday that Google is going after Fitbit, which would be another yes. wearable device. And given the, the uh, slightly checkered past in hardware, yes. why go for another hardware play? It's fascinating that, that, I mean, the Fitbit story itself was really interesting yesterday. This stock was halted because of how much it soared on the back of that report. I think it ended up closing about 30% higher. Ultimately, Google and Microsoft, Amazon, are still making a lot of push in hardware. Google is not the only one doing this. It's all sort of part of this bet to be dominant in your home. And we've talked about this a lot on the show. But, but, do, you, but do you think they want to own the ecosystem like an Apple does? Or do you think it's about working out how the software connects through these devices? When you think about a wearable on your wrist, how that might connect up to a mobile where you're using search to a connected car, for instance. And do you think maybe that's the, the broader plan for, for Google? They're trying to work out the connections, not necessarily, not necessarily own the hardware. From Google's point of view, it already licenses its Android. I mean, think about how important that is to, to, its, to the, the software hardware connection. And it, for example, when we're talking about wearables, it already licenses its wearable technology to Fossil. So Fitbit would really just be an extension of that here. But I think you're absolutely right. It's part of owning not just the actual devices, but it's part of owning everything that connects them whether it is in your house, on your wrist, in your car, wherever that may be. I, I, well, sorry, I was, I was just going to say, it sounds glib to say it, but this $1.5 billion loss that you talked about, where they've written down the value of their equity investments, and I guess people are looking at this and saying, is that Uber and Slack? Should this company stick to what it knows rather than trying to be a private equity business? One would easily be able to say that based on this report and based on the performance of some of those IPOs, Uber, Lyft, and Slack. We don't know, again, a bit frustrating that we don't know exactly which investment they were talking about there when they're talking about the write-down. We do know that all of those companies have struggled in recent months since their IPO, so it could be any number of those. Google has made some pretty big investments in things that aren't typically Google. And that's one of the things I think it's trying to figure out here is how much do is it, does it really want to focus on that versus its core um, you know, software business, search business. Is it worth the price tag though? Seat at the table with the other big autonomous player in the room. If you've got Waymo out there, you get to see what Lyft and, and Uber are up to. So well, it's a quite a big price to pay to, to be at the table, right? Well, I mean, there's a little bit of a trend here at the moment, isn't there? Masayoshi-san, he's caught a bit of a cold on some of his recent uh, investments. Um, just how good are technology companies at understanding other businesses in the technology space? Depends if you're in it for the money or if you're in it for the intel. And maybe they're in it for that knowledge that they're acquiring. 
over the autonomous rivals. But yeah. then it also comes space. down to regulation and this sure. question of should these tech companies continue expanding into more and more areas and become dominant and create an environment where consumers are forced to only engage with their products. Yeah. And I know regulation has been a huge topic for all of the major tech players. No doubt about it. We know that Google's acquisition of Looker from its cloud business is getting potentially some scrutiny for antitrust. but. The announcement about Fitbit yesterday just seems to justify these companies are still going full force ahead with with acquisitions and with expanding their their well, their Google platforms. Google is building products that expand choice. That was the message from Google yesterday. Well, I, love, I mean, I love your Keeping argument, Karen, but I'd rather not see the company lose one and a half billion dollars doing it. Yeah. Something to, to ponder anyway for our audience out there, Elizabeth. Thank you very <laughs> thank much. Thank you. See you later in the show. Washington is considering increasing some tariff exclusions on Chinese imports worth $34 billion, according to the Office of the U.S. Trade Representative. The exemption on the goods is currently due to expire on the 28th of December. The USTR re recently said both China and the U.S. are close to securing a phase one trade deal. And on the economic agenda this week, we'll get a first look at U.S. third quarter GDP on Wednesday. With Reuters, forecasting growth will slow to 1.7% versus a 2% rise in the second quarter. That's ahead of the Fed decision in which the U.S. central bank is expected to cut rates for the third time in a row. We'll get jobs data on Friday. With Reuters forecasting, non-farm payroll growth will slow significantly to 85,000, and that unemployment will tick up slightly to 3.6%. Uh, Boris Johnson's hoping for a Christmas election, but will it turn out to be another Christmas turkey after lawmakers vote down his plans? Will the opposition parties get on board, and what are the Liberal Democrats going to do? We'll have more when we come back. Plus, BP will post third quarter results later this morning. We'll break down the numbers with the CFO, Brian Gilvery at 8 o'clock CET. Well, let's take a look at European opening calls. It looks as though we're in for a fairly muted start to trade. Earnings sharply in focus today in Europe. We will be right back. CNBC signature event. East Tech West, CNBC's exclusive invitation-only retreat returns to Nansha, Guangzhou, China in 2019. We explore all things tech from artificial intelligence to 5G. Join the world's most prolific investors, inventors, and entrepreneurs as they share their stories and celebrate innovation. Visit easttechwest.com for an application to attend. Welcome back to Squawk Box. Boris Johnson is set to make another attempt to hold an election on the 12th of December. The British Prime Minister will put forward a new short bill that will only require a simple majority to pass. This after he failed to gain the backing of two-thirds of MPs during yesterday's vote. Meanwhile, Johnson has officially accepted a flextension from the EU, but urged the bloc to make clear that a further delay would not be possible. Now, Willem joins us around the desk. Willem, so talk us through, how is this short bill going to work? So it's simply uh, a line that we've put to Parliament today to say we want an election on the 12th of December. Boris Johnson has wanted to leave by the October 31st. Parliament didn't allow him to. 
He didn't want to have this extension. Parliament forced him to. He wanted a shorter extension. The EU's offered him a long one. And knowing that a long one was likely, the government formulated this plan to hold an election. Now, what they tried yesterday was under legislation introduced several years ago in the UK, the Fixed Term Parliaments Act. They required a two-thirds majority, 434 MPs. They don't have anything close to that kind of number in terms of the Conservative ranks. And that's why very clearly, even though Boris Johnson dared his opponents to join with voting for this election on his terms yesterday, he wasn't successful. Take a listen to how he dared his opponents. It is now overwhelmingly clear that the only way to get Brexit done is to go to the people of this country. And I believe that it is all, I believe it is time that we all, each and every one of us in this House, had the courage, finally, to face our ultimate bosses, the people of this country. Now, despite those exhortations, uh, he fell far short of the 434 votes he needed. And what's so interesting, one of the reasons that more opposition lawmakers didn't vote for it is because they simply don't trust him. They don't believe that giving him the control over the election date would mean that he necessarily sticks to that election date. And that lack of trust we've seen again and again in Parliament the last few weeks was expressed by the leader of the Labour opposition, Jeremy Corbyn. We have a Prime Minister who will say anything, do anything to get his way. He will avoid his responsibilities. He will avoid his responsibilities, break his promises to dodge scrutiny. And today he wants an election and his bill. Well, not with our endorsement. He says he wants an election on the 12th December, though how can we trust him, how can we trust him that he will stick to that date? So this is the point, right? Yesterday, under the approach the government took, they required a two-thirds majority in order to get their election, but once they got that majority, if they'd got that majority, they could then choose the date. And that's the point Corbyn's making. What will happen today is they'll require just a simple majority but Parliament will have decided the date. And it's very similar to the proposal the government's pursuing today to the one we saw from the, over the weekend from the smaller opposition parties, the Liberal Democrats and the SNP. He may, therefore, end up getting support from some members of those parties, even though they'd be doing the Conservatives a favour. The challenge, though, is there are still members of his own party who aren't necessarily all that thrilled at the idea of pursuing a general election, given the fact there's a withdrawal deal available to Parliament that got close. I know, I know. Rubbing I my know. eyes here and blinking in the sunlight and thinking, what the hell? I mean, why did the Liberal Democrats vote against this when they, alongside the Conservatives now, do want to move forward with a general the election? The same reason, that nobody seems to trust Boris Johnson to stick to his word. And if you give him that two-thirds majority under that specific legislation, he's the only person that decides on the date of an election, and they had concerns that he would deviate from that promise of the 12th of December as he's deviated from previous promises, let's not forget, and therefore there was a concern that he would try and push the country towards a no deal by holding the election much, much later, and Parliament would have no power to stop him once the election yeah, campaign begins. There seems like there's a lot of self-interest on every side here. And when it comes to the date, also for Labour, they want a different date because they want more younger voters engaged in the process. That seems to have cropped up with an earlier date, uh, which would be more beneficial. What, what's so interesting about the legislation being introduced today to call for an election on the 12th of December is it is, in theory, although the government's trying to make it watertight, it is amendable. And that's the phrase we use in the British Parliament to talk about the idea that other parties can tack on 
de developments and elements to the legislation to change it, one of those things that a lot of people have talked about as a possibility is that some of those parties, like the Liberal Democrats, who did very well among young voters, might try to change the age of, of voting mm -hmm. down to 16. So 16 and 17 year olds who might favor their view on Brexit would be able to vote. That would take a lot of time, a lot of parliamentary effort. There'd be a lot of opposition from the Conservatives, no doubt. But that is one of the risks today. So although it looks like there's a much better chance of getting a simple majority in favor of an election today than there was last night, I certainly wouldn't say it's a guarantee. But just, just to reiterate this point, they want to, the Lib Dems and the SNP want this to happen earlier partly because they want younger voters, but also because they just don't want Johnson to try and slip through his Brexit deal before Parliament gets That's dissolved. They, they've ruled out right. the Brexit deal. One of their conditions was drop it. And the government late last night did commit to not bringing that withdrawal agreement legislation back mm -hmm. until an election, which is a big concession. What are the polls saying about who would win in an election? It depends on who you're asking, when you're asking, but right now it looks like the Conservatives, if you look across all of the polls, have about a double-digit lead, but they had a much bigger lead, don't forget, going into 2017, and they didn't hold on to it. There's a risk of that, isn't there, if you seem, uh, seem to have a, a fairly large lead, that then it opens up the door for more protest votes, because people think, oh, it doesn't matter, I'm just going to protest anyway, I'll probably get the outcome I may want if they would have been a Conservative I, I, I would they question, may protest. I would question what motivates voters near midwinter when it's dark and cold in parts of the UK to get up on the December 12th and vote at all. So I'd be very interested to see what the turnout is like. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.